Good day, Christian Israel. I hope you set your clocks forward last night or else you're going to miss the first hour of the show. But in any case, we are here prompt and with the clocks moved forward as we were supposed to do last night. Thanks for the warning uh, from Arkansas last night. Uh, I would have forgot again. Again, the I don't know how many relationships have broken up over people not showing up on time. But these clock changes are a real pesky situation. I wish it would go away. There is a movement underfoot to change all that and stop these uh, time changes once and for all. So I'm all in favor of that. I don't see any necessity at all for these time changes. So uh, the the teachers can adjust their, their, their schedules according to when the sun comes up. Uh, we don't have to adjust to their lifestyle. So, okay, folks, welcome to Bloodlines on Eurofolk Radio. This is March 8th, 2020, and today's show is going to be, uh, we were going to continue our study on Simon Magus from last week, but Michael Swede couldn't make it today. So I'm going to do another article by the same person, Ernest L. Martin, who is a very good Bible scholar. He's a traditional Judeo-Christian Bible scholar, although he does take Judaism to task because he's an honest Bible scholar. As we pointed out last week, Mr. Martin uses the old-fashioned term Jew for Judah, and he uses the old-fashioned term Gentile for what he believes to be non-Judaites or non-Jews. And but we have to read through that and uh, uh, give him a little bit of grace here because he isn't aware. He didn't do the Bible studies and doesn't realize that the word Gentile was never used by any Old Testament or New Testament author. And as we have been demonstrating, I think, in the last 10 weeks or so, that these two words, Jew and Gentile, do not belong in the scriptures. Uh, the, the scriptures need to be translated, retranslated accordingly. Or you can just go into your current Bible and uh, scratch out wherever it says Gentile, put in nation. And if you understand the context of which nation is being spoken of, you can put in the name of that nation. And in the New Testament, it's almost always Israelites that are being referred to as we have been proving through cross-referencing and through word studies, that it's almost always Israelites that are being spoken of, almost never non-Israelites. In other words, the so-called Gentiles, as the world understands. However, one of the biggest problems of Judeo-Christianity is the false assumption that Judaism is the religion of the Old Testament. So, Ernest L. Martin tackles this subject, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The title of the article is, Is Judaism the Religion of Moses? by Ernest L. Martin. And if you want to, you can just use your browser to bring up this article as I read through it. I've already pasted it in the chat room, so people there can follow along. And uh, so we're seeing the the exposure of the Jewish religion as a false religion, not based on Moses, not based on the Old Testament at all, okay? This is where uh, true theology is. 
The sad fact is that only those of us, uh, some in British Israel, but only those of us in Christian identity truly understand that Judaism is a total fabrication, is not based on the Old Testament at all, only to the extent that a rabbi has a copy of the Old Testament in front of him and proclaims that his religion is, is based on the law of Moses. Other than that, there is no legitimacy whatsoever to the idea that Judaism is based on the Old Testament. From their own lips, they tell us that Judaism is the Talmud, and Talmudism is in no way, shape, or form equivalent to or even derived from the Old Testament or from the laws of Moses. They deny everything in the laws of Moses. By the way, yeah, let me quickly, I see in the chat room they're still talking about the 5G. And uh, we've been correlating coronavirus illness with 5G. And Brother Abair says, did anyone notice the huge sphere 5G high-power cell towers on the Princess cruise ships? Gee, I wonder what causes sicknesses that can't be identified. Get nuked for a week at sea. It's worth it if you can go, go get Wi-Fi on the sea, huh? Well, I mean, don't you go on a cruise ship to get away from it all, right? Uh, apparently not. I guess, well, there's a lot of downtime after the food and the festivities and overnight where people get thrown overboard and never, are never seen or heard from again. Uh, thank you, but no thank you. I'm not going on any cruise ship. Now we have even less reason to go on a cruise ship. Yes, we've been correlating these outbreaks of coronavirus with 5G. We found out in Italy, the places where 5G has been installed is where you also find the most instances of coronavirus. By the way, coronavirus in medical textbooks is simply identified as the common flu. Nothing special about it, but we know, of course, that it has been bioengineered so that it, it's supposed to be fatal. They have, ever since the 1918 Spanish flu, they have not been able to engineer a really deadly and contagious virus. All of these local uh, recent attempts, starting with SARS, the MRSA, etc., all these vaccination scares in the last 20 years have turned out to be duds. This one is also a dud because the, the real cause is 5G and uh, HARP and chemtrails. They're engineering the atmosphere to make us sick. That's what's really going on. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter what they call it. They can call it coronavirus. They can call it dengue if they want to. It's a manufactured disease, and it's part of the vaccination scare. Get in line for your vaccination. That's what it's all about. And these vaccinations are going to be more deadly than the disease. We know this, okay? Uh, Brother Abair asked, why isn't it showing up at Disneyland? Well, because, well, maybe they haven't got 5G there. Maybe they want to give people a break from all of this. But I understand Disneyland uh, goes to great lengths to control mosquitoes, uh, all kinds of you know, diseases. They don't want their clientele getting infected with diseases. 
Although I understand uh, one, one of their rail operations broke and plunged a bunch of people into the water not too long ago. So maybe that's about the only safe place where people can congregate anymore. So stay away from 5G. That's the name of the game. Stay away from it. Fortunately, the economic slowdown being caused by the 5G rollout in Wuhan and the shutdown of manufacturing in China generally is going to cause an economic slowdown all over the world. Travel restrictions already in place everywhere. And as I reported last night, uh, I highly uh, suggest that you listen to it when you get a chance, the restoration hour from last night, where we proved conclusively that uh, the, the primary victims of so-called coronavirus are the elderly, the infirm, and those with pre-existing diseases whose immune systems have already been compromised. And we recorded the very first non-Asian fatality, which occurred in Italy, by a 78-year-old white man in Italy. The very first fatality of coronavirus by a non-Asian. So, but nevertheless, the scare tactics of mass media is that you have to line up and get your vaccination. So I think this time they're really going to push for vaccination hard. They've already mandated it in California. As we reported last night, New Jersey rejected it. But California, being the California, is leading the pack in globalization, uh, Judaization, uh, liberalization, immigrationization, etc., etc. So well, California is pretty much a lost cause at this point. There are so many commies in office there, so many non-whites in office there. It's, it's a lost cause, absolutely lost cause. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Swamp Fox says, all this reminds me of the Y2K hype. Well, somebody made a list of all the things that were supposed to have killed us all on, on planet Earth the last 20 years. Y2K was one of them. Uh, but the list was ongoing. It mentioned some of these viruses that had come and gone. But they forgot to include global warming. Global warming is going to kill us all, don't you know? So I wish it would warm up around here. Chicago has been pretty cold lately. Uh, I want global warming. I'd rather have warm weather than snow, sleet, ice, etc. Okay. But this we're living in a crazy world. Yeah, more Kleenex. More Kleenex is what we need. And uh, you can make your, if you don't have Kleenex, you can use paper towels. Of course, uh, what we called snot rags, uh, handkerchiefs. Wow, what a word. What was the last time I used the word handkerchief? Uh, Kleenex, tissues, whatever. Uh, Handkerchiefs are unsanitary, (laughs) okay, because uh, all that stuff hangs around in that snot rag uh, waiting to infect the next person. So anyway, coronavirus is nothing but the common flu, but they're trying to weaponize it to make it deadly and contagious. They have not been able to make a really deadly, contagious uh, bioweapon yet, but be that as it may. So uh, one more thing uh, at anglo-saxonisrael.com, www.anglo-saxonisrael.com, we have successfully put a donate button up, and so 
feel free to donate to our cause and keep Eurofolk Radio running smoothly because Anglo-Saxon Israel and Eurofolk Radio are sister stations. We will soon have a donate button up at Eurofolk Radio, and we will be selling books again, Pastor Steve's uh, translation of the Old Testament and uh, Andy Carrington Hitchcock's books, uh, the great, uh, not my book is The Great Impersonation. His book is Synagogue of Satan, and he also wrote the uh, In the Name of Yahweh. So our publishing operation, which has been on hold because of the various PayPal strikes against us, YouTube channel taken down against us, etc., etc. And I'm rebuilding Anglo-SaxonIsrael.com. It's going to take a while. But we'll get the commercial side of it going uh, once and for all, and hopefully we'll never be taken down again. So, be that all said, we are on the verge of exploding the myth that Judaism is the religion of Moses. Again, is Judaism the religion of Moses by Ernest L. Martin? How much do you know about the Jewish sects mentioned in the New Testament? The Pharisees, Sadducees, Scribes, and the Herodians, and the Zealots. Were they all really Jehovah God's Old Testament congregation? That's another word that uh, Ernest L. Martin needed to research. It's not church, it's ecclesia, it's congregation. People assume that Judaism is the religion of Moses. Yes, they do. I would imagine that 99% of people who are at all concerned or interested in the Old Testament, and that includes most Judeo-Christians who are not concerned about the Old Testament. Many of them are quote-unquote New Testament Christians only. They don't understand that Judaism bears no resemblance to Mosaism whatsoever, and that's the proper term for the religion of the Old Testament, Mosaism. Because it was codified by Moses. You could call it Yahwism also, because Yahweh dictated the the entire Old Testament to Moses and to the prophets. So it could also be called Mosaism, I mean Yahwism, but Mosaism is, I think, the proper term, because it was dictated to him, and he wrote it down for our benefit. So, there's no way that Judaism is Mosaism. No way possible. Only those of us in identity, and some in British Israel, understand this. Let's continue. Uh, that Yesh- People assume that Judaism is the religion of Moses, that Yeshua brought a message opposed to the Old Testament, that he came to nullify the teachings of Moses. It is taken for granted that the New Testament presents a quote-unquote Gentile religion, or how should we put this, a conversion of the Ten Commandments and the other laws into non, non-law abiding? Well, that's what many of the Judeo-Christian churches teach. That's what they teach. And I'm using the word church advisedly here because they are uh, non-Israelite congregations for or mixed congregations for the most part. And they are organized denominations excuse me, that do not recognize that we Israelites are the congregation, the only congregation that the Bible pertains to. So, 
It is taken for granted that the New Testament presents a quote-unquote Gentile religion and that the Old Testament teaches Judaism. Yet all these assumptions are absolutely false. Hello? Right on the money, Mr. Martin. These assumptions are all false, yet they are commonly believed by Judeo-Christian and Gentile alike. Shocking though it may seem, history proves that Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament scriptures. Judaism is plainly and simply the religion of the Jews, a religion manufactured by their own ingenuity. The Jews of Roman times had appropriated the name of Moses as the author of their religion. Wow, is it, this is music to my ears, folks, to hear the truth so plainly spoken. It is absolutely rare for a non-identity theologian to be speaking such truth so plainly. Let's continue. Just as today. Oh, let me, uh, sorry, I jumped the gun here. The, the Jews of Roman times had appropriated the name of Moses as the author of their religion, but in actuality they had rejected Moses. Yeshua said, Had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me. But ye believe not his writings. John 5, 46 and 47. The Jews used the name of Moses, but they didn't practice what he commanded. So whenever you see a rabbi parading around in public or in a synagogue with the scroll that is supposedly, it may actually be the Old Testament in Hebrew, but they don't believe a word of it. They don't practice a word of it. It's just a showpiece. It's window dressing for the satanic religion called Judaism. Just as today there are hundreds of denominations and sects in what is commonly called Christianity, all appropriating the name of the Messiah, saying they are Christian. Wow, he's so close to identity, I can taste it. However, he still makes a few mistakes. But contradicting each other and failing to practice what he taught. And history proves that the Jews had misappropriated the name of Moses. Absolutely. Right on the money, Mr. Martin. In effect, Judaism was a man-made religion. Yeshua said that they were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, Mark 7, 7. It is time we looked into the records of history. It is time we learned how the Jews departed from the religion of Moses. We will be dumbfounded to discover that Yeshua, in reality, re-emphasized the message that Moses brought. That is correct. If you actually read the Sermon on the Mount, you will find that it is very, very strict in some cases even stricter than the Old Testament. In its true spiritual intention, not just spiritual intention, in its moral intention, in its ethical and covenant intention. And instead of nullifying Moses' teaching, he magnified it, having in view the true, strike the word spiritual here, the true purpose originally intended. Because it is about our nation Israel, our covenant relationship with Yahweh, and our obedience to him and his laws, which were not done away with, except for the one law of blood sacrifice. That's it. 
the, the Paschal Lamb, Passover Lamb. That was the only law that was done away with because he fulfilled it. The time has come to get our eyes open to the facts. Judaism was not and is not the religion of Moses. It is obvious to the most superficial reader of the New Testament that a fundamental difference existed between the teaching of Yeshua, Yeshua rather, and the Judaism of his day. And, of course, the same applies today. Why? The answer is surprising. History shows, and the Jews themselves admit, that their religion had drifted far away from the simple doctrines of the scriptures, commonly called the Old Testament. The Jews had modified Jehovah God's law and even instituted laws and commandments of their own, which were, in many cases, diametrically opposite to the precepts of Moses. Now, Mr. Martin understands this. Why is it so few Christians understand this? Because their pastors, so-called pastors, have been telling them that Judaism is the religion of the Old Testament. This has been drummed into their heads since they were born into whatever denomination they were born into or converted into. And no one has told them the truth about the Talmud. Continuing, it is time we realize that the Messiah came to a people who had, through their human laws and traditions, rejected the religion of the Old Testament, which Jehovah God had given to their forefathers. Now, Point of uh, clarification here. He's not familiar with the Edomite situation in Judea at that time. He's not aware that these Pharisees, the vast majority of these Pharisees were Edomites, and uh, a good number of the Sanhedrin were Edomites, and that these Edomites ruled under Herod, under Roman occupation. These people were not Israelites by any stretch of the imagination. They ruled by proxy, as they rule most nations today. They ruled by deceit and by totalitarianism. That's what these Jews, these Edomite Jews, were doing. They were taking the laws of Moses and turning it into a totalitarian religion. You must do as I say, or we will kill you, which is exactly what they did to Yahshua. No Israelite would have done this. The Israelites were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the redemption. But the Edomites were not. They were masquerading as the priests of Israel. So this masquerade has been going on for the last 2,000 years. And that was the beginning. It wasn't the rejection of Judahite priests, although there was enough of that as well as there is today. This whole movement called Judaism was begun by Edomites, not by Judahites. So he continues. These are the plain facts of history. It is important that we understand this if we are to comprehend the significance of events in the New Testament period. The Messiah, in effect, came to retrieve the Judahites from their apostasy. Yes, and there were plenty of Judahites in apostasy from their rejection of the laws of Jehovah God. Even the Judahites were pretending to be righteous. Paul goes to great lengths to accuse the Roman Judahites of hypocrisy. Our people are full of hypocrisy too. So it's not only Jews who can be hypocrites. 
our people can be hypocrites too. And we have to understand that and not blame everything on the Jews. Sometimes it's our fault. And they did. They rejected the laws of Yahweh. And these, how, how should I call it, unrighteous Judahites blended in with the Edomite imposters because they were more like them than different. So the ruling clique of Pharisees and Sanhedrin in those days was composed primarily of Edomites and hypocritical Judahites. There is no doubt about this. So continuing. Many people have erroneously, erroneously assumed that the Judaism in the time of Messiah was a religion united in a common bond, every Judahite believing about the same thing all united into one major Judahite denomination. This is the first illusion that history reveals. Yeah, if you really study it, but he hasn't even studied it to the extent that the Edomites were in control of Judea in those days. Judaism was divided into many sects in Yeshua's day. Each had its peculiar beliefs. One of the most authoritative Jewish writers on Judaism, Dr. Herford, tells us, quote, If it were possible to analyze the Judaism of the New Testament period into all its component elements, the results of the process would be to show how a complex variety is summed up under that name. It's just the same as today. What's Christianity? Which sect do you belong to? To what extent does your sect teach authentic scripture? To what extent have they made up lies to confuse you? This is why so many people in Christian denominations lose their faith because Judeo-Christianity is a scam. It's a pretend religion. They don't do any word studies. They don't do any history. They utterly reject the covenants. Most of them reject the Ten Commandments. So how can these denominations even dare to call themselves Christian? Yet they do. So an outsider looking at this situation will scratch his or her head, roll their eyes, and walk away. This is a crazy religion. And that's how white nationalists view Christianity. And rightfully so. Because what passes as Christianity today is an abomination. Yes, they promote homosexuality, they promote race mixing, they promote usury, every abomination under the sun, they promote other religions as being the equal of Christianity. This is what's being taught in the Judeo denominations today. It's absolute garbage what they're teaching. We, in identity, are the only old-time religion. We're the old-time religion, right from the New Testament and the Old Testament. All the other denominations simply ignore the basic teaching. Yeah, they got, you know, well, Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, they got that right. But not our sins. If you're not an Israelite, he didn't die for your sins. You were not in sin. The law was only delivered to Israel, and the covenants were only made with Israel, period. So what we have is delusion, to the nth power in religion today.
And in spite of all this, Christianity is the most, uh, how should I put it, the the most peace-giving religion in the world. All the rest of them are authoritarian in the extreme, with the possible exception of Buddhism, which really doesn't have any doctrine. (laughs) It has the Eightfold Path, but it's essentially you follow your guru, and most of these gurus are, are pretty peaceful, although there have been fights among among uh, Buddhist gurus, Buddhist priests. I understand there's a big drunkenness problem among them as well, as there is with Catholic priests. So anything can happen in any religion. And the bottom line is that the vast majority of priests in any religion wind up being hypocrites. They preach the word, but do not practice it. Although in Islam, it's it's pretty easy to preach it and practice it because it is a religion of supremacism. And it's not hard for a, a heathen to be supremacist and go for it. That's what we're seeing in the world today with Islam, for sure. So, let's uh, let's continue here. The divisions of Judaism. Uh, hold on. Uh, Paul just sent me an update about uh, what's going on on your folk radio. No more news live. Uh, start time U.S. is 1 p.m. Eastern. Adam Green has organized a debate with Dennis Wise, the maker of Adolf Hitler, the greatest story never told. And Christopher John Berkness on Hitler this Sunday. Okay, uh, Christopher John Berkness, to my understanding, does, although he has changed his tune recently, he has blamed the Catholic Church for the woes of the world, and uh, he got a lot of flack for ignoring the Jews, and so he's changed his tune a little bit. So I don't know where Christopher John Berkness stands on the subject of Adolf Hitler, but that should be a good debate. Okay, so that'll be coming up today, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right after, conveniently, Voice of Christian Israel. So let's get back to it. Thanks for that update, uh, uh, Paul. All right, the divisions of Judaism. Many people have erroneously assumed that the Judaism in the time of the Messiah was a religion united in a common bond. Every Jew believing about the same thing, all united into one major Jewish denomination. This is what outsiders falsely believe about Christianity. This is the first illusion that history reveals. Judaism was divided into many sects in Yeshua's day. Well, now, obviously, he's including the Christian sect of Judah, who did actually practice the law of Moses, whether they did it quote-unquote, religiously or not, is another question. Whether they did it righteously or not is another question. But they did have the laws of Moses and were doing their best. I say the vast majority of the common people were doing their best to adhere to the laws of Moses. The rich in the big cities, not so much. Judaism was divided into many sects in Yeshua's day. Each had its peculiar beliefs. One of the most authoritative Jewish writers on Judaism, Dr. Herford, tells us, if it were possible to analyze the Judaism of the New Testament period into all its component elements, 
uh, I read this already, but it deserved to be repeated. Judaism was not one unified organization. Actually, there were many religious sects comprising it, and even within some of these major sects, there were many splinter groups, which had their own ideas and beliefs. In many respects, the Judaism of Messiah's time was not unlike our own world. We have many competitive sects representing Christianity. So likewise, the Judeans, I'm going to use Judeans because we're talking about a country which had both Judahites and Edomites, primarily in the big cities because Edomites don't farm. So so you didn't find Edomites out in the countryside. Those were Judahites. And... uh, and a few Israelites of other tribes mixed in, not too many, certainly the tribe of Benjamin. So likewise, the Judeans had their divisions, differing sects representing, quote-unquote, Judaism, and I would say Mosaism. And even the Pharisees, the Edomite Pharisees, were pretending that their religion was Mosaism. And he used quotes around Judaism, because it was never called that. Uh, it would be interesting to determine when, in fact, Talmudism was first called Judaism. Probably not until modern times. Mosaism is the correct appellation for the religion of the Old Testament, and it did not change in the New Testament except for the elimination of the sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood, period. Okay, some of these sects will be familiar to readers of the New Testament. There were the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, Zealots, and Herodians. However, there were many more divisions of which we have a good deal of history. Some of these were the Essenes, the Qumran sects who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, of which so much has been written lately, and others who are called by contemporary religious historians apocalyptics. Well, certainly the Essenes and the Qumran sects, I tend to identify those. I don't see much difference between the Essenes and the Qumran sects. I think that's where the Essenes, the Essenes left Jerusalem because they saw the handwriting on the wall. The Pharisees had taken over Jerusalem and also the Sadducees, and they were upset with these things, and they wanted to preserve Old Testament religion. That's why they preserved the Old Testament. The only complete book of the Old Testament preserved by them was the book of Isaiah, which verifies our perspective on this issue. And even Josephus tells us that the Essenes were the only true Judahite sect. The others were of questionable ancestry. The apocalyptics, there were all kinds of apocalyptics. You know, in other words, people interpreting the scriptures, many of the people even the Judahites believed that Yahshua, when he came, would establish the kingdom the first time around. They didn't realize it would take two incarnations for that to happen. And so it was obvious, if you really look, if you read the scriptures, the Edomite Pharisees and Herod, another Edomite, looked with dread upon the Messiah fulfilling the prophecies because they knew they were not included in that their supposed kingdom here on earth stood to be destroyed if they didn't assassinate him, which is, of course, what they did. Any true Judahite would have welcomed the Messiah, 
But these Edomite Pharisees and Herod were afraid of him. That's why they had to kill him. There were other divisions among the Judeans who lived in the surrounding areas, such as Egypt, Asia Minor, Mesopotamia, Greece, etc. Now, most of these were, in fact, Judahites who had left Judea to get away from all the fighting. There was constant fighting. The Maccabees, uh, the the Greeks, the Romans, these nations invaded. And there were constant wars with the Arabs, with the Edomites, with the Samaritans, etc., etc. So many Judahites simply left, joining up with their brethren in the Greco-Roman world, the scattered ten lost tribes. They met up with those, probably recognized some relatives, found out where their relatives were, and met up with them. And many of these Judahites wound up in Rome, true Judahites, not Edomite Jews, and they practiced Mosaism in Rome and got special exemptions from the Roman emperor to do so. They didn't cause any trouble. They weren't moneylenders. The moneylenders came later. Those were the Edomite Jews who came from Judea impersonating us. He continues, There certainly was not just one single sect. Judaism was split into many fragments, and I would never include Mosaism under the term Judaism. But history reveals another shocking and little understood fact. It will eradicate the fiction from many people's minds that the Jews as a whole were deeply interested in religion at this time in history. Now here I've uh, disagreed with Ernest L. Martin many times because he assumes that the common people were not interested in religion. Yes, they were. And they were probably the most righteous of all the people because they, they weren't infected with, oh, what's what's the word? Uh, mercantilism, for lack of a better word. Cosmopolitanism. That's the word I was looking for. The Jews are the ultimate cosmopolitans. They do not live in the country. They have no interest in farming. The land, remember? Cain, Yahweh said, the ground will not yield for you. Therefore, they have no interest in farming. They own land, but they don't farm it. Oh, and Paul says, uh, if we uh, can, we will simulcast it over Eurofolk Radio. Thank you. That would be good. That would be fantastic. All right, so we're, we're seeing, you know, you have to have the correct language to understand the scriptures. And he's still using outdated, obsolete language, most of this language invented by the Jews with reference to the Old Testament and, of course, to the New Testament because this whole idea that there's such a thing as a Jewish Christian is absolute nonsense. The Jews hate Christianity and always have because the proper use of the term Jew is to refer to the Edomite Jews, the Edomite Judeans who are impersonating Israel. That's the proper usage of the term Jew. And certainly, as he points out, well, most of these people, at least in the cities, were not righteous Israelites. And certainly the Edomites could not be righteous. They don't know what righteousness is. They are the great pretenders. 
But history reveals another shocking and little understood fact. It will eradicate the fiction from many people's minds that the Jews as a whole, or the Judeans as a whole, were deeply interested in religion at this time in history. I would put it this way. The leading sects, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, all the other political entities, the Sanhedrin, these were political entities primarily. The officers of these groups wanted to retain power over the people. In order to do so, they had to pretend. They had to pretend they were righteous. And the people believed them. Just as in the Catholic Church, the average Catholic believes that the priests are righteous, honorable men. No, they're pedophiles. They're lawbreakers. The Pope is the lawbreaker-in-chief. Well, we have the same situation among the Catholics as we had among the Edomite Jews. None of them were righteous. Absolutely not. Now, now there are a few. I've met a few Catholic priests in my life who I had a little bit of respect for because they under... In fact, I had met an ex-Jesuit who gave up the Catholic faith. He gave up Jesuitry because he realized how corrupt it was. And so I had respect for him leaving. The vast majority of Catholics, however, do not have any clue how unrighteous the establishment of the Catholic Church is, the denomination, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. It's, in fact, satanic, just as Judaism is satanic. So let's continue. A surprising fact comes to light. The records show that far less than 5% of the total Judean population of Palestine belonged directly to any of the religious groups mentioned above. Well, the common people were simply obedient. They understood to whatever extent they could. And it's proven by the fact that the apostles, even though they were you know, farmers, tax collectors, fishermen, they, under, they certainly understood the scriptures. They knew the difference between right and wrong. So when they saw their leaders violating the law, they were certainly disturbed, which is true today. It should be true today. If your leaders are violating the law, you should be disturbed. And this is why the Second Amendment has been so difficult to eradicate. Because the common white man and woman understands that the right to self-defense is what? A biblical right. They might not understand the biblical portion of it, but they understand it. It makes common sense to have the right of self-defense against an invader. And when your government tries to disarm you, you know there is a problem. A serious problem. So, I think he's overestimating and he's uh, he's underestimating the common people, the farmers, the the butcher, baker, candlestick maker, etc., tent maker. He's underestimating those people. Continuing, unbelievable as it sounds, it is true. Over 95% of the total Palestine population were neither Pharisees, Scribe, Zealot, Herodian, Essene, Qumran, or Apocalyptic. These people, the overwhelming majority in Palestine, had no direct membership in these religious denominations of Judaism, correct, 
And in most cases, were not particularly religious at all. With this, I have to disagree. They were religious, way more religious than the sects he's talking about. The Pharisees referred to the mass of the people as Amharetz. This is the Hebrew word and signifies the people of the land, or simply the common people. Now, I would say that it is true throughout history that the common people were always more righteous and more religious than their leaders. Continuing, this pe- these people, well, it's certainly true of my family, very observant Catholics, all of my relatives, very observant Catholics. On the Protestant side of uh, my relatives, very observant Protestants, uh, very righteous, very dignified, uh, very prone to obeying the law uh, throughout the history of our race. If a man was a wife beater, the common people of the village would warn that guy. If he doesn't stop beating his wife, the, the, the men of the village would beat him. <laughs> that was the bottom line. So they were righteous. That's the reality, folks. So he's totally underestimating the common people. These people were the multitudes who lived in the cities, the smaller cities, towns, and country. They were, in many respects, like many non-church members today, some went to the synagogues frequently, many only occasionally, and many never attended at all. Well, I mean, Yahshua said, go into your closet and pray. Your faith is between yourself and Yahweh not between yourself and some priest. The scholar Hereford has this to say about these people. Quote, it is clear, now of course this is a Jewish perspective, it is clear that the Amharets, the common people, were not all of one type, either in respect of their religion or socially and economically. Yeah, some of them were Edomites, which all of these scholars ignore. Just as they included rich and poor, capitalist and laborer, the merchant, the farmer, the artisan. They had no money lenders until the Edomite Jews appeared. The tax gatherer, the artisan, uh, the publican is uh, another word for tax gatherer, and the tradesman. So on the religious side, they included those who were just not Pharisees and those who paid little or no heed to religion at all with every shade of piety and indifference in between. Again, I would disagree. I would say the vast majority of Judahites and Benjaminites in this era era, were far more righteous and observant than their leaders. The population analyzed. We can demonstrate quite easily that far less than 5% of the population in Palestine belonged to Jewish religious sect. Well, that's true, Jewish religious sect, because true Mosaism was not Jewish, as he's arguing here. Nevertheless, well, uh, just for example, the Selection Day, what the Catholic Church calls Palm Sunday, the day on which Yahshua rode into Jerusalem on an ass. Virtually the whole country turned out and uh, rolled out the red carpet, palm leaves, flowers, uh, proclaiming him the Messiah. This was done by the common people, not by the leaders. This is proof positive that the common people were more religious and observant than you know, these people. So he's being 
influenced, Ernest L. Martin is being influenced by Jewish reasoning here. Let's continue. The Encyclopedia Biblica records that the population of Palestine must have been somewhere between 2.5 and 3 million inhabitants at this time. This is the figure that most scholars represent as the total population of Palestine, which is interesting because that's about the total population of Israelites that were uh, extracted from Egypt by Yahweh. This is the figure that most scholars represent. There is a full discussion on the Palestine population question in Salo Barron's quote book called A Social and Religious History of the Jews. This Jewish historian, again, it's obvious, he's relying on Jewish historians while arguing that their religion is fake. Uh, what about all these other books the Jews have written? Won't they be fake too? Or are you making the assumption, Mr. Martin, that so-called secular Jews are more honest than religious Jews? I don't think so. This Jewish historian has summed up the opinions of the experts, on uh, Jewish experts, on this matter. He quotes as his conclusion to the whole question the findings of Dr. J. Klausner, another Jewish scholar. I find it amazing that he, he understands that Judaism is a fake religion, but he assumes that these secular scholars, or in many cases, rabbinical scholars, are telling the truth about secular history. Quote, J. Klausner finally has studied in particular the records pertaining to the wars between 63 and 73, 37 B.C. and has reached the conclusion that at the end of the Maccabean reign, there lived in all of Palestine approximately 3 million Judahites, not Jews, because the Maccabees were doing their utmost. They were fighting wars against the enemies of Judah in order to keep their race pure and their religion pure. That's what the Maccabees were trying to do. Just read the books of Maccabees for yourselves and to prove it to yourself. that that's, The religion did not change. The religion changed when the Edomite Pharisees were given power over the people by Herod and the Romans. That's when the religion changed. Up until that point in time, and of course John Hyrcanus, the big mistake he made was circumcising Edomites and bringing them into the nation. Under the Maccabees, the religion of Moses was being, you know, there were obviously competing sects in those days as well, some pro-Mosaic, some, some anti-Mosaic. But the Maccabees were certainly pro-Mosaic, and they had continued the line of the Levites in the priesthood to the best extent they could. So they were truly Mosaic. The Maccabees were truly Mosaic to the best of their ability. Continuing, this figure should not be far from right. There were nearly 3 million Judahites or Judeans living in Palestine in the days of the Messiah. So again, since he ignores the fact that Palestine was a multi or Judea was a multicultural state being ruled over by non-Judahites, he simply does not understand the true causes of the deviation from the Old Testament. 
It was not the Judaites who deviated from the Old Testament. It was the Edomites, pretending to be Judahites, who caused the deviation. Next heading. How many Jews belong to the religious sects? The most prominent sect in Judaism at this time was the Pharisees. Thank you very much. This was the group the Messiah had more to say against than any other. Yeah, because they weren't Israelites. One of the reasons for this is because the Pharisees were the most influential group and had more members than any of the other sects. Yeah, well, they were supported by Edomite money. They also had direct, and bribing Roman officials was the rule of the day. They also had direct control over the majority of synagogues and schools, and in this respect were the most popular with the people. Even Paul studied under a a synagogue rabbi. Now, whether or not he was an Edomite way up there in, in Tarsus is hard to say. Could have been. You have to do a lot of research to find out whether he was an Edomite or a Judahite. But nevertheless, many Judahite who were part of the Pharisees were infected by Pharisaism. No doubt about it. And Pharisaism can never be considered uh, true Mosaism. Even though the Pharisees started out as a sect in opposition to the Maccabees, they were still Judahites when they were formed, when they began. But they were a rebellious sect. And as many of the writings of Josephus inform us, that the Maccabean kings and the Hasmonean kings, who were Judahites, were constantly experiencing trouble from these Pharisees, even though in their early days and up to the days of 100 B.C., when John Hyrcanus circumcised Edomites, the Pharisees were a very troublesome sect. So, uh, and we have that today among Christian sects as well, that uh, certain sects will just cause all kinds of trouble. You know, uh, for the most part, these sects are harmless in that they stay separate unto themselves, like the Holy Rollers are a good example. You know, they totally misinterpret what happened at Pentecost in 33 AD. They totally misrepresent that, speaking in tongues, speaking in gibberish, when the word clearly tells us that they understood, they all understood what was being said, even though it was not the language they were used to hearing. Okay? So rolling around on the floor speaking gibberish is a total reversal of what happened at Pentecost. Okay? But these sects are not supported by Jewish money. That's the difference. The Pharisees were supported by Edomite Jewish money, by the bankers, by the Sephardim of Babylon, who were, what do you know, moneylenders, bankers, etc. Okay? This is where the corruption comes from, from outside of Judea, outside of Judah, outside of Israel. So, let me uh, 
Nevertheless, as a correct statement, the most prominent sect in Judaism at this time was the Pharisees. To the extent that Judaism was being practiced at all, it was only being practiced by the Pharisees. The rest of the people, being Judahites, practiced Mosaism to the best of their ability. Continuing, this was the group the Messiah had more to say against than any other, yes, because they had been totally corrupted by this time. One of the reasons for this is because the Pharisees were the most influential group and had more members than any of the other sects. They also had direct control over the majority of synagogues and schools and were the most supported from the outside by the Edomites and by the Sepharvaim. But yet, even though the Pharisees were the most influential and the most prominent religious group among the Judeans in the time of the Messiah, it is astounding and dumbfounding to realize that out of three million Judahites, or Judeans rather, in Palestine, only a mere 6,000 were Pharisees. Well, you can't all be leaders. You have to have farmers, carpenters, craftsmen, etc. to keep the economy, to keep the infrastructure going, which the Pharisees were not interested in doing, nor are the Jews. Yeah, the Jews want control over the infrastructure, but without carpenters, bricklayers, uh, painters, etc., there is no infrastructure. So those people must be deceived. And this is what the Pharisees were doing in those days. So I'm amazed how little understanding Ernest L. Martin has regarding the true nature of the common people, the Judahite, sorry, Judahite common people in those days. Yeah, where, where did Yahshua get his apostles from? The common people who were religiously observant and knowledgeable of the scriptures. So any any Bible scholar should understand this. A uh, quick look at the chat room uh, is EFR archived. Yeah, if you go to the main page at Eurofolk Radio, uh, show downloads. The uh, various shows are categorized by title, and then all of the shows that we've archived are listed under those titles. So uh, feel free to go there. <laughs> so, yeah, please do that. And um, I'm very much looking forward to, if we can uh, simulcast the show uh, with uh, Adam Green, the debate between Dennis Wise and uh, the other critter, uh, Christopher John Birkus, that would uh, that, that, that could get nasty, folks. <laughs> that could really get nasty. We'll see. We'll see. So... Uh, if you're listening, Paul, maybe you can post the link, or, or I think he's working on a simulcast as we speak. Okay, so and, and uh, let's continue. Where are we time-wise? We've got a ha- half an hour to go. So <laughs> here again, he makes the mistake. He calls Josephus a Jew, a Jewish historian. No. He was a Judahite. He was a pure-blooded Judahite. These Judeo-theologians simply do not understand the covenants, that these covenants are a racial covenant exclusive to the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No one else is included. Does not mean that all Judahites and Israelites are righteous people. 
Does not mean that at all. But the remnant of Israel will always be righteous. And we have no choice but to conclude that Christian identity and a large portion of British Israel are that remnant, adhering to the covenants, adhering to the Mosaic law, and to the faith of Yahshua Messiah, who redeemed us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. If you are a so-called Christian and don't understand the covenants, you don't understand the Bible. Let's continue. The Jewish, no, the Judahite historian Josephus, who was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul and a Pharisee himself, well, that's not true. If you read Josephus's autobiography, he states that he studied under the Pharisees, he studied under the Sadducees, he studied, I think, even under the Essenes to understand what they were teaching. This is different from saying that he was a teacher or a member of the sect teaching Pharisaism himself. That is an overstatement of the case. So just because, uh, okay, I studied Marxism-Leninism when I went to college. Does that make me a Marxist? Absolutely not. I studied Marxism to find out what it is they exactly teach. And boy, did I get a load (laughs) of history. Wow, what a deplorable condition. All communists are in mentally. Talk about brainwashing. Talk about lies. Communism and Judaism are exactly the same thing. Both are nothing but total deceit from the get-go. And so is Pharisaism. Josephus was not a liar. Josephus was portraying history very accurately. He may have made some mistakes. He was an Israelite after all. We make mistakes. But for the most part, I would say, if you want to talk about 99% accuracy, Josephus was faithfully trying to report for the world, record for the world, chronicling the Old Testament and recent history as well. So he was chronicling the history of Judah. That's what he was doing. So the Judahite historian Josephus informs us of this fact that there were only 6,000 Pharisees in the Antiquities of Judah. Book 17, paragraph 2, or chapter 2, paragraph 4. Continuing, but just imagine what this means. Here were the Pharisees, the major religious sect among the Judeans, representing nothing more than an insignificant 0.2% of all the Judeans in Palestine. Well, guess what? Although it's more like 2%, although the Jews insist that there's more of them than we realize, 2% of the moneylenders control the entire planet. These facts will have to change the convictions of many people who have had the erroneous idea that most of the Judeans in the Messiah's time were Pharisees. No, of course not. They were just a sect, but they were the most powerful sect. That's the most important fact. Most readers of the New Testament have never thought it necessary to ascertain the religious condition of the Judeans in Roman times. Most 
Judeo-Christians have no interest whatsoever in the history of the religion that they profess. And because of this, most people have been making erroneous assumptions based on what's being taught to them by their Judeo-pastor. I like pulpit bastards better. Based on our own contemporary condition. Yeah, and this is a mistake made by white nationalists too. Judging Christianity as a whole based on the craziness of Judeo-Christianity today. And it is craziness, folks. Next heading, the other Jewish sects. All other sects within... Try to... Uh, try to well, all other sects, period, were of less significance than the Pharisees because they were not teaching Judaism yet. The Judaism was being developed. All other sects within Judea were of less significance than the Pharisees. The Sadducees, your, your rhetoric has to conform with the facts. The Sadducees, for example, were a sect that the Messiah came into contact with frequently because they were spying on him constantly, but they were less prominent than the Pharisees. There is no question about the fact that they had fewer members, Antiquities of Judah, and Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, Volume 1, page 322. If we number the Sadducees at less than 3,000 members, we will not be far from the truth. The Sadducees were primarily Judahites who were Hellenized. They were doing business with the Greeks and then consequently doing business with the Romans. They were primarily merchants of our race who were not interested in controlling the people Religiously, they were only interested in making profit from commerce. That's that's my take on the Sadducees. Of course, they had to pretend to be interested in religion, just as Bill Clinton had to pretend to be go to a, a church with, carrying a Bible, right? And John D. Rockefeller pretended to be whatever sect he belonged to, some some sort of Protestant. He went to church religiously. Notice I said church. There's no way John D. Rockefeller was a Christian. No way. So you have all these posers who have to make these public appearances just as the rabbis make public appearances carrying a scroll and who knows what it says on those scrolls? They don't, even if it is Hebrew, even it is if it is Old Testament, they don't believe it anyway. So it's just a prop. It is a prop, much like an actor on a stage will uh, will wear in a disguise. It's a prop. That's all it is. So this is true. The Sadducees were not as powerful as the Pharisees, etc. Another sect of the Judeans at this time, but not mentioned in the Bible, were the Essenes. Josephus informs us that there were only about 4,000 of them, Antiquities of Judah, chapter 17, chapter one, sorry, uh, book 17, chapter 1, paragraph 5, a group known as the Qumran, associated with the Dead Sea Scrolls just recently found, 
were a part of the Essene sect and represented part of the 4,000 members. Okay. The rest of the sects in Palestine were of minor importance and definitely had fewer members than the Pharisees, Sadducees, or Essenes. For example, Herford, Judaism in the New Testament period. See, now here is the mistake that Ernest L. Martin is making. He's relying on all these Jewish scholars while arguing that Judaism is a fraud. Come on, why didn't this connect in your mind, Mr. Martin, that you are relying on Jewish sources for this historical information when their their sources are just as bad as the sources of rabbinical sources. These figures represent the startling truth that the overwhelming majority of Judeans did not belong to the religious sects. That is correct. With the facts staring us directly in the face, it should not be difficult to understand why it can be stated with absolute assurance that far less then 5% of the 3 million Judeans of Palestine belong to these religious sects. That is correct. Far less belonged to these sects. The common people do not did not belong to these sects. However, they were ruled over by these sects. Continuing. Some common people were religious. No, the majority of the common people were religious. Now he's getting a little closer to the truth. Let's see what he has to say here. The majority of people known as the Am Haaretz, the common people, who were not members of the religious sects, represented all classes and varying degrees of feeling in regard to religion. It is definitely known that some of these common people were not totally irreligious. No, they were basically religious. Some of them did not, just as uh, the comparison with, with Catholics. I can't tell you how many of my relatives are pious Catholics way more pious than any Catholic priest. Some of them did hold to a form of religion even though they did not belong to the accepted religious sect. Now this poses a problem. When the common people see that their leaders aren't acting righteously, they get confused. Why, Why are these guys behaving this way? Why are these Catholic priests molesting little children? How long has this been going on? What's being done about it? Since there were synagogues scattered throughout Palestine, it is altogether obvious that those Judeans who did attend had some form of religious conviction. But the ministers in charge of most of the synagogues were Pharisees. Yes, by by later history, by the time of Christ and shortly thereafter. Yes, that's that's the truth. But up until the time of Christ, most of these synagogues, and the synagogue simply means congregation, not all of these towns had a meeting place, a building within which to meet. Sometimes they met outdoors, sometimes they met in each other's homes, etc. The word synagogue applies to that because the word synagogue simply means congregation in the Greek ecclesia. So, It took a while for these Edomite Pharisees to insinuate themselves into these Judahite congregations. The Pharisees, it's like a used car. No, no, a better example would be a a vacuum cleaner salesman. In the old days when they went door to door, remember those days? I do. (laughs) I answered the door many times of people selling stuff, door to door salesmen. 
And it takes a while for them to get their foot in the door. Who are you? You claim to be a practitioner of the Mosaic Law? What are your credentials? Well, in the case of Judea, they were given this power over the people by the Romans, by the Roman army. So no vacuum cleaner salesman had that kind of backing to all of a sudden take over. But these Pharisees were given that power by the Romans through the elevation of the Edomite Herod to the governorship of Judea. Okay, so that's a completely different situation. Nevertheless, these Pharisees were vacuum cleaner salesmen no better than a vacuum cleaner salesman. I shouldn't demean vacuum cleaner salesmen. Okay, however... These common people were not Pharisees. Absolutely right. They weren't. But they had to listen to them. They had to oh, they had to adhere to their rulings. The common people who did not attend the synagogue services, however, were not required to hold to the teachings of the Pharisees. Neither were the people who attended the synagogues led by the Pharisees. I'll bet there was a lot of confusion. So Probably these Pharisees were first learning about the Mosaic Law on the, on the go, on the fly, OJT. The Pharisees exercised little real authority over the religious life of the people. Yeah, they were mainly politicians. If a person desired to attend the synagogue, he could. If he obliged himself to stay away, that was his prerogative. There was no obligation to go to the synagogue. There was no coercion to attend Sabbath services. For there was little exercise of any central religious authority within Judaism at this time. Well, actually, I would have to disagree. The authority came from Herod and Rome. This was the power that the Pharisees had. Pharisaism had no means of compelling those who were not in their fellowship to conform to their requirements. Well, all they could do was teach, but when... When the teacher is put in place by the Romans and you have no choice but to accept that person as a teacher or stay away, then that's still real power. Continuing, it is perfectly clear that the people at large did not share in the punctilious religious life of the Pharisees. That's good. However, much they might admire it. Well, I would have to say they were confused by it because what we've found in the Gospels is that the common people, such as Peter, John, uh, Stephen, etc., had more knowledge, greater knowledge of the Old Testament than the Pharisees did. In Palestine, as in modern lands, the proportion of those actively engaged in religious service was undoubtedly small. This is from Matthew's book, History of New Testament Times in Palestine. Okay, so participation in synagogues is not a true measure of the piety of the people. Many st stayed away. Well, they sometimes, sometimes you couldn't travel. They were farmers. They had to make sure somebody, if the head of the household wanted to go to a synagogue, 
He would have to make sure that some family member was there to take care of the animals, etc., guard the guard the place, etc. So that would limit uh, attendance to a synagogue, and uh, many of them were not interested. The the Bible says, "Go into your closet and pray." You don't have to attend services. There's no no mandatory church attendance. It is advisable for us to congregate just to reinforce our faith. That's what we do here in Christian identity. But there's no commandment to go to a particular place on a given Sabbath. There just isn't. Remember to keep the Sabbath holy. All right, set it apart for your own personal study. You can study Scripture at home by yourself with your family or with a congregation. It's up to you. Even though the synagogues ruled by the Pharisees were open to all the Judeans and they could attend them on the Sabbaths, this does not mean that all the Judeans attended. In fact, from the available evidence, it appears quite strongly that only very few Judeans, relatively speaking, attended the synagogues regularly. At least if the size and number of the synagogues of which records exist are any guide, and they are obviously and they obviously do represent a guide, then we can safely say that very few of the common people attended the synagogues with regularity. And that is pretty much true of Christianity today. Very, very few people attend church anymore on a regular basis. That whole Way of life is fading away very quickly because of the total corruption of the Judeo-Christian churches. Take as an example the Capernaum Synagogue. Now, even before I read this section, my opinion of the Capernaum Synagogue was that it was not yet controlled by Pharisees. It was still controlled by Judahite religious leaders. Not, Le- not Levites, because the Levites had fa- been phased out. But elders, it was controlled by Judahite elders. Let's see what he has to say. It is a matter of history recorded in the New Testament that there was only one synagogue in the city of Capernaum in Galilee. And even that was built by, well, he says a Gentile. It was built by an Israelite of the dispersion. That only one synagogue existed in such a large city surprises even Edersheim, a Jew, one of the foremost Jewish writers on early Judaism. Again, Judaism did not exist yet. Judaism was just being formulated by the Pharisees at this time. You have to have these categories correct, and you have to have the history correct, and you have to know the difference between an Edomite and a Judahite to understand what's really going on in Palestine in these days, Mr. Martin. Continuing, because Capernaum was very significant in the New Testament times and had a considerable Judahite population. I doubt that there were many Edomites in Galilee. Probably none. See Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, Volume 1. The ruins of this synagogue shows that it would have probably seated around 500 people at the very most. This was certainly not not large for the city of Capernaum. This is the very synagogue that Yahshua preached his first sermon in. And 
even though these were Judahites, they still wanted to throw him over a cliff when he announced that the, the, the words of Isaiah are fulfilled in your ears. That, that was he, he was proclaiming that he was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of these prophecies. And the, the synagogue erupted in anger. You? You, the carpenter's son? <laughs> You're the Messiah? Please, don't lie to us. And they tried to throw him over a cliff. Josephus tells us that there was no city or village township in all of Galilee that had less than 15,000 inhabitants. There is no reason to doubt Josephus' statement regarding this, for he should have known. He was governor of the province of Galilee under the Romans and was well aware of the number of his constituents, especially since he was responsible for collecting taxes from them. So from Josephus we can be certain that Capernaum had at least 15,000 inhabitants, but from other evidence which shows its political importance in Galilee, there must have been considerable more inhabitants. Well, I mean, every city has its suburbs, the metropolitan area, etc., etc. Most of the people in Galilee were Judahites. Actually, they were Benjaminites of the house of Judah. And of this Galilean population, it is said that no region was more punctual in observance of the Sabbaths and feasts. Yeah, they were observant. Benjaminites, with a smattering of Judahites mixed in. And yet there was only one synagogue in Capernaum, one of the chief cities of Galilee. Okay, Because actually from the return of the house of Judah from Babylon and the reestablishment of the synagogue in Jerusalem, the vast majority of Judahites, Benjamites in that territory practiced their Sabbath at home. It's way too much trouble to travel for the most part, for most Gal- uh, Galileans, and for even most Judahites living out in the countryside, to travel to Jerusalem every Sunday, or every Saturday, rather. It wasn't even Saturday, every Sabbath. That's a, that's, a, that's a big responsibility. It's a big consumption of time. So especially in the planting and harvesting season, who's got time for that? You, know, you, you stay at home. So the importance of Capernaum in the New Testament times has been recognized by many. Nonetheless, even being one of the chief cities of Galilee and having considerable Judahite, actually Benjamite population, It only had one synagogue. In the New Testament, the definite Greek article is used, which indicates only one synagogue, the synagogue. It would have been virtually impossible to get even 10% of the Judahite population into this synagogue for Sabbath services. This serves to indicate that only a small minority of Judahites attended. Yeah, it would only be primarily the most prominent and those lived in centrally located in the city with ease of access. That's how that works. Okay, so folks, uh, this is a very interesting, I might do one more show on this topic, but because Ernest L. Martin is so confused about the ethnic composition of Palestine in these days, Multiple corrections have to be made to his rhetoric. 
but I think it's worth uh, another uh, a part two in the near future. I expect Michael Swede will be back next week and we'll finish our study, also by Ernest L. Martin, on Simon Magus and the founding of the Catholic Church by Simon Magus, a Magus who was a sorcerer of sorts. Uh, usually the sorcery done in those days was magic like a magician you see on a stage today, uh, making... Uh, uh, Statues move, making statues talk by having a ventriloquist or somebody hidden behind the scenes talk for talk for the statue, and the people go ooh and ah and oh wow it's magic. That's the kind of sorcery that was going on in those days, and Simon Magus may have been an expert at that. So we'll continue with part two of that next Sunday. So, uh, okay. All right, and uh, Swamp Fox says that Pastor Ramsey was a guest speaker at Pastor Dan Gaiman's church. Very good. Uh, I, uh, that, that's really good news because the barrier, the wall between the non-seed liners and the seed liners is starting to break down. That's very good. I've always ad- advocated that we do not look down on non-seed liners. Uh, I've always advocated the position that we just keep on preaching our understanding of the word and those who have not agreed with us in the past will come around. So whether or not the non-seed liners fully embrace our teaching, the our brotherly love is more important If we don't have brotherly love, if we hate one another because we disagree with one another, that's the wrong approach. We must love one another. That is the commandment. Obey his laws and love one another. That's That's the bottom line of the New Testament. So if one of my brothers or sisters studiously resists the two seed line, that's okay. You know, as long as you understand that we preach the covenant, racial segregation, and that the Bible was written to, by, for, about exclusively Israelites and no other people, then you have the basic message. You can believe all that and still be a non-seed liner. And you can still understand that the Jews are the enemy of our people. Okay? So you don't have to be a two-seed liner to take those positions. So we... We emphasize the points of agreement, and then we fellowship to discuss our points of agreement in a calm, rational, friendly manner. And if you don't like it, I'll hit you on the head. <laughs> okay? This is, uh, this is the correct attitude. I had a great disagreement with Clifton Emmeheiser on this. He said, no, we shouldn't fellowship with non-seed liners. Well, then how are you going to reach them, Clifton? How are you going to reach them? So, folks, this is the brotherly love. We teach love of our fellow fellow Israelites and Adamites. That's what we teach. If they aren't up to stuff, if they're not interested in doing the study, that's their problem. We love them nonetheless, just as your own offspring. If one of your offspring has gone astray, 
Do you stop loving him or her? No, you pray for them. You pray for them to come back into the fold, come back into the truth. That's what you do. You don't write them off. I had the same problem with the Yahwists. There are many Yahwists say, well, if you don't use the name of Yahweh in every instance and you use God or you use deity or you don't use the name of Yahshua and you use Jesus, I won't fellowship with you. That doesn't make any sense. How are you going to reach those people? How are you going to do it? So, folks, again, our message is one of brotherly love and scriptural truth. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you next time.